you always seem so surprised. <laughs> we spend like an hour setting up, and then you're like, "Hey, oh, we oh, got the podcast." Oh goodness, ooh, it tingles. Uh, hi, my name is Meredith S K. This is Carpe Diem, Make Your Game, where I and lots of you probably are learning how to be a DM. Some of you certainly, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> we hope. Well, we would hope that if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you would that is your aim. They just, they just turn in to listen to me be surprised. <laughs> uh, Surprise Meredith is a different podcast. Yes. Uh, I'm Alexei Othin and Gerard. I'm Chris Hawkabout. And we're joined today by Noah. Yes. Hi, that would be me. Yeah, That's Noah. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us about yourself, Noah? Yeah, so um, I've been playing uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and Shadowrun and a few other games for uh, well, upwards of a decade now. I'm not exactly sure quite how much. Um, I've also always been very interested in the sort of systems behind how these things work, which is why I ended up writing. Um, was usually considered to be one of the, um, the main sort of treatises on balance in Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. I am that level of nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah... That's well, we're, what I do. We're delighted to have you on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much here. for joining us. So today on Carpe Diem, we are talking about my first, I mean, I guess, session, my first setting. I mean, so um, learning how to pace games is one of those skills that really only comes with time. Mm -hmm. But let's say that this is, we're trying to nail down your first arc. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be made up of of a series of scenes, and that might take a session or two, depending on how quickly your players move through them. So arc, like narrative arc. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I have this thing where when I think of, like, uh, uh, wait, what did we say, arc? Arc, yeah. So I have this thing where when I think of an arc, I think of, like, a really long campaign. And granted, it could be because of, like, you know, things like the Adventure Zone and things like that, Mm -hmm, where it's, mm -hmm. like, this multi-year sort of thing. And uh, I was kind of hoping you'd say that an arc meant, like, a session or you know like the first like you have co- like one enemy or or you could, you could think of it as the, the the completion of their first major goal and to that end uh alexei and i sort of came up with a um outline of how to write this which you can find at dmcast.net to use for your own purposes um <laughs> we will definitely post that Along with all the other stuff that we said we were definitely going to post. It'll be hey, a media blast. I do blast. a lot for this podcast. You do a lot. What are you talking about? You're the, you're the nucleus. You're I am the, the nucleus. Uh, but you guys are fine. I wouldn't. I couldn't be here without you. I'm the but mostly bit because I don't know what I'm the learner. <laughs> you know, I would just be like, oh. Um, so to create this uh, the outline... Uh, you know what? I'll actually just go through the sections real quick. I've got a document in front of me. It's a good idea. Uh, Section one, the party gets introduced to each other. Section two, get the quest. Section three, prepare for the adventure or the adventure begins. Uh, Depending on whether or not your players are really amped about shopping. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Section four, uh, next scene, which is introduce intrigue. And then... um, Intro or intro of a uh, antagonist or a small win for the party. So the first section, the party gets introduced to each other, and there's sort of two subnotes: where are they, and why are they there, and what are they doing? That's three, but I put two under one. Um, 
So where I see them is at a uh, a town that's some some amount of distance from Turtle Mountain, where mm-hmm. it's a long enough ride you wouldn't casually go there. Uh, so I guess four or five days horse and like I don't know what there there must be a tool somewhere to say like oh if you could get there on five or six days on a horse you it would take you nine or ten days by foot or something. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I would say like horses move about as twice as fast as humans. Yeah, if we had Interestingly a... enough, in d and I'm pretty sure humans move an average of 30 feet and horses move 40, so it's not a huge difference. <laughs> that horse either is real fucked up or that guy is really fast. Dude's straight up sprinting and the horse is lazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's this town and it's sort of the last crossroads. Like there's... People can come and go from these different places, but if you leave... To go to Turtle Mountain, like, that's the only road. And when you go to Turtle Mountain, the only road back is to this town. Ah. And we've talked about the fact that Turtle Mountain is itself on kind of a foothill right. outside of a larger mountain range. Right. Uh, a perilous crossing. Yeah. Right? And um, this other little town is sort of like rolling hills, very Irish, you know. Mm. Uh, they provide, you know, they're not really farmy. They provide a lot of uh, wool for people going over into this mountain pass sort of thing. Yeah, they provide like, they provide like supplies for the merchant caravans right. who stop at this town, you know, sort of uh, buy supplies from mm-hmm. the crossing and mm-hmm. cross. Yeah. So, uh, why are they there? So I've had this idea of a harvest festival. <laughs> Previously, I was talking like I was thinking, okay, why are they going to go to Turtle Mountain? And um, the reason I want is because communication has suddenly stopped. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was thinking there this harvest festival would work is because uh, maybe there was some people supposed to come sure. from yeah. you know. <laughs> Right, you know they were expecting something from the right. the pub on Turtle Mountain, right. or uh, perhaps a shipment of mead. Oh yes, yes. Uh, the bees live on Turtle Mountain. <laughs> I think it's a it's a fun idea. Um, one thing that I like to play with a lot is telling the players to create a party, essentially, and say like, you know, I'll give them some limitation that forces them to be a group, uh, huh. even something as simple as uh, you know, you're going to start in a small town. And you're going to be drinking buddies in a tavern. Mm. Now make characters that fit that way, and then mm-hmm. let them cut loose. And sometimes yeah. you'll end up with a whole family. It's hilarious. I, or sometimes it'll be some other thing. I want to try to make it not be a pub. Maybe there's some sort of sure. like raffle games or something, and they're mm. all you know, like oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like when you go to the fair and you get kind of matched up with whoever for the little mm-hmm. water gun thing with the you know with the yeah. thing. Okay. So whatever sort of medievally version of that is, <laughs> like where there's like the the like dancing around throw. a maypole or something. No, like there's a sack throw and you're trying to get in a bucket and you win a pig or something. I don't, I don't know. sack throw. I don't know if like paired for carnival games <laughs> is the like deep bond that these characters mm. are going to need to trust each other. So they can you're win. right. You're right. But it's a start. Yeah. But again, I mean, you know, like <gasps> maybe said, they all work for the carnival. No, yeah, okay. That's not I, either, I, yeah. All work for the carnival is pretty great. Okay. Actually, that would be hilarious if you set it up as, okay, guys, you're all carnies. Build carnies. a game, but you're all carnies. You can and, play whatever, but you have to have a reason why you're a right. bunch of carnies. Go. And that would be awesome. That would be pretty great. Okay. Especially given what we know uh, is is going to happen later. Um, um, 
I was like, what happens later? And then I remember <laughs> that I actually am writing it. Um, but I think the important thing is to make the players a part of the place that yeah. they're going to be playing in or starting mm-hmm. at, you know. Don't make them just, you know, uh, four or five people from all corners of the earth who were mm-hmm. brought here through circumstance. That can be interesting, but it, it's, it creates a longer runway for them to build rapport with right. each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a small town. It, if the people here... You know, no matter what, if these players have grown up in this area, they probably know each other. Like mm-hmm. they've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, well, if they're carnies, they're sure. If they're traveling from Harvest Festival to no, you know what? But they know each other, and that's good. Yeah. Um, so, however, however you want to work it, and again, yeah, you know, use your players' input. So yeah. Like, like Should I make build- my players do it? I I would say I would say describe the town to them. If okay. You can, yeah. If you can give them a sense of like, oh, this is what the town is like. Come up with characters who know each other, mm-hmm. you know, and and you could even say know and trust each other if you mm-hmm. wanted to go that and far. I even add that you can give your players some control over the town. You mm-hmm. don't have to flesh yeah. out this entire town. Yeah. If they partly built it, that's great. Uh, I did a game a while ago where all I told the players was, "You're going to be from the town of Sleepy Brook. You all have to be members of the town guard, and you cannot be important. So you can't be the mayor. You can't huh. be the blacksmith. Okay, but mm-hmm. as a result." For example, I actually built the map only partially, and then when one of my players said, okay, I'm going to be the apothecary's assistant, mm-hmm. then I said, fine, where's the apothecary? And mm-hmm. she neat. drew it onto the map, and so they took a massive amount of ownership, and they had more motivation than any other player said I've ever seen based on this silly town that they put yeah, in. So if you even, know your players well enough, then you're, you're, you, you should be certain that one of them isn't going to go, well, my character is the rocket ship captain and I just, you know, and then goes yeah, completely off script. If you get that player, what you do is you, you, you hit him on the head with a hammer and then <laughs> problem solved. Yeah. Uh, so even though I'm not super expecting to stay in this town very long, I should really flesh it out? Actually, I would say let them flesh yeah. it out. Yeah. Because okay. the only point to fleshing this town out is for them to care about it later. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing you do will make it as cool for them as a town that they help. Okay. Yeah. So let that's them go a good, That's a really good piece of advice. Especially because, you know, kind of in the larger plot, what you're looking for from this town is it provides this really important emotional beat after the players are on Turtle Mountain, after Turtle Mountain starts to move, where they're suddenly like, oh, we're stuck here on Turtle Mountain, and our town is getting further and further away. Spoiler, Noah. Turtle yeah, that Mountain. Was a, that was a bit of a spoiler. It, it's, it's a turtle. turtle. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah Although, imagine. you've told me in the past that that's not going to be a spoiler, specifically uh, the I don't past think the players. I don't think the players will know. Oh. Like, no, I, uh, until he said that, I had no hint that that's where this was going to go. It yeah. could be just shaped like a turtle. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that yeah, makes me obvious. feel good. Dude. Yeah. But yeah, if you can get <laughs> It's going to be such a good reveal. Sorry. Go if you can get them to write their backstory mm-hmm. about this town mm-hmm. and why they care about it and add in that, you know, they're the... Apothecary's assistant, who is this son of the last apothecary, who is the daughter of whatever, then you didn't have to go through a lot of effort, yeah. but now they care. Mm-hmm. And as a DM, you should try to offload your work where you can onto them because they'll own it more. They'll have like agency have in the world for yourself. Yeah, exactly. But if they do provide you with a bit of content, use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. use it, then, you know, it's like it's like having a famous person, you know pay attention to you something the world reflected my idea back at me um so the next section is uh so we've got where are they and sort of why are they there and what are they doing um there's the who introduces them to the question the question being like 
Oh, you know what? Actually, I think I just wrote quest, mm -hmm. and then it auto-filled a question. question yeah. All right, so I'll just redo that. Uh, so the next section is who introduces them to the quest, right. um, and why did that person pick them? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the who introduces them, um, I think, so it's going to be someone that has something to win or lose from losing communication with Turtle Island. Like, sure. everyone else is sort of apathetic. Like, okay, yeah, sometimes they go under, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, but this person is like, no, we haven't heard him from the ages. Yeah. Uh, I need this mead or whatever, or whatever. from right. from Turtle Mountain. Uh, like the organizer organizer of the the uh, the, harvest, the festival. harvest festival. And if this harvest festival doesn't go off like perfectly, hmm. the guy is going to be destitute. Oh yeah, maybe maybe like mm. there's no maybe there's no ale. Maybe mead is the only thing they have because mm -hmm. they don't they can't farm wheat or something or sure. wheat doesn't exist. But or, more likely the other thing doesn't grow in those latitudes. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, so nothing but turnips. Yeah, so there's going to be this festival with no booze. Yeah, right. the festival. Wait, yeah. So the festival's coming up, I guess, right? Sure. So. Yeah, it, the the town is the town is preparing for the harvest festival. Right. And it's like lots of bustle. Yeah. People are really looking forward to it. Mm. But even if there is other booze, if this is a festival where like the mead gets showcased at this festival, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Yeah. That still ruins the festival yeah. if the mead's not there. But I have to figure out timing, right? Because it's like okay, if it takes five or six days to ride there. Let's say let's say it's more like three or four days ride because sure. Sure. that makes more sense. Like, oh, the festival's that's in like a week and a half. Three to, three to, what, three to four days? Mm -hmm. Two to three, that's what, horses on in dandy miles, like 30 miles a day or something, I think, for a horse. Okay, yeah, so like, you know, oh, it's a week and a half or, you know, however long until, anyways, I just don't want to pull a Game of Thrones season seven or whatever it was yeah, just right. now where it's just, sure. the, the distance yeah, all they have to do is hire that one guy and he will sail everywhere instantaneously. And, oh my God. and if you wanted to throw in a little comment, a little lightweight comment encounter, kind of like a, you know, an exotic meats are part of the harvest festival and, mm -hmm. and the guy who hunts, you know, uh, um, I don't know, filling an interesting non-standard like food stuff here. Like it's up in the mountains. Go get one, you know. What incentives do the PCs have to go on the quest? What? So I need to figure out two things. Why did the person pick them? And why would the player characters be like, oh yeah, we're gonna leave this thing and go? I mean, I feel like if it's just their boss. Or you know the leader of the town. It's just or whoever. It's not going to be a very good like. Oh, well, I pick you because you're standing here. Well, I think um, you know one thing to avoid is just the straight up payment model of yeah. like you know I'm randomly going to pay thirty gold to the next person who does this because then the the players lose any sense of connection to the world and it's just like I'm just going for the next treasure. Uh, this is one place where telling the players to make something that you want really helps. And if they're carnies, mm -hmm. their job is to make this festival happen and maybe you yeah. know, their whole job screwed up otherwise. Um, I would also have the person not be the highest ranking person yet yeah. uh, because you want the stakes to escalate steadily over time and wherever you start the stakes, you want to be able to go mm. on from there. The person yeah. asking them to go on the quest, you mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not the head of the town asking, it's maybe it's just the guy who is in charge of the booze delivery and the head of the festival is expecting yeah. him to have booze and he doesn't have booze and oh my god oh my god there's no booze yeah and i would imagine that whoever's asking him they're just like hey communication's been cut off maybe there's been a landslide or something and you know you you if you go through that process of having the players kind of come up with their background tie it to the setting 
tie their their backgrounds to each other and and mm-hmm. introduce them to the NPCs and the pertinent people in the world and and just have some light lightweight role playing opportunities between them and townsfolk. Then a lot of the whys and and wherefores sort of got kind of work themselves out organically, mm-hmm. especially if they've met the person who's going to give that quest. Exactly, it becomes a thing of of less of like random NPC number three two seven has said do this and more of like. Herb, yeah, yeah. that kind of stressed out guy with the weird lazy eye, but mm. seems awfully nice. Yeah. You're has... pretty sure he's an uncle of yours, or like a cousin, or something. Possibly both. Yeah. <laughs> and if he's like, oh, oh, guys, yeah, you gotta help me out. Right. Yeah, the mead's not coming in, and if I don't get that mead for the harvest festival, I'm sunk. I mm. tell you. And then they're like, oh, jeez, jeez. And you don't uh, have to start it as, and we think the mead's missing because the great demon invasion has <laughs> come. It actually can be really helpful if it's like, and I think they don't have the mead because I sent Robbie and you know Robbie. Yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah, so I mean, if you could just get out there, I'd really, really appreciate it. Like, yeah, I'm so you. glad you do the voices because I am a big fan of doing the voices. Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that they would have lost communication, but like, you know, for some amount of time before the Harvest Festival, but mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, like we don't always get communication. This right. and that. I mean, you know, if the, if, if the inn is three or four days away, then like, you know, if you go a week without communication, that's not that weird. That mm-hmm. just means that, you know, nobody's left the inn in the last... You know. Or the lack of communication from the inn is extraordinary or yeah, unusual. unusual. It's And so the players are maybe introduced to the idea mm-hmm. when they overhear people above their station talking about it mm-hmm. and there's there's a, a lot of worry and they can pink up on that and maybe, maybe they make the decision to go out themselves yes exactly mm-hmm. which is you know that's super strong i mean if it's not if it's not an npc being like hello i am your quest giver here is your quest you know if it's the players being like hey we should do something about this we should try to investigate so the quest can be relatively simple like this guy yeah. whoever should be like hey Mead's on Turtle Mountain. I need the mead. Mead's not here. Don't know why. Maybe it'll be dangerous. Take a stick. Yeah, that's the yeah. best kind of intro. Okay. Um, if you try to do this really complex thing and go over the players' heads, the players haven't been playing these characters for very long. They mm-hmm. need something straightforward and simple to get a feel for the world because, especially on the first quest you do, they can't figure out things. And mm-hmm. it's not because they're just stupid. It's because they don't know your play style and they don't know what you want to do. And so you have to give them the permission, essentially, by saying, hey, guys, quest's over there. Solution to quest is basically this. Go nuts. Mm -hmm. And they will learn from that and you'll find that they'll sort of test the water with that. So you Mm -hmm. really do want a nice, straightforward... The worst games I've ever seen are the ones where someone opens with a ridiculous Because then it can also, uh, the players can kind of fill in a little bit too, right? Like sure. yeah, they can absolutely. like guess and see like, oh, well, I'm going to buy, who knows what's going to happen. I'm going to buy some arrows and be like, ha ha ha, they got some arrows. Yeah. You know? yeah, um, that's yeah. great. So the next section is uh, prepare the adventure or the adventure begins. Um, so money, uh, I'm guessing how I just, dis- I'm sorry. How I decide these players meet each other will determine a lot of how much money they have. I mean, there are standard starting kind of gold and equipment loadouts in the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. So your players should kind of come into game, if they're first level, they should come into game with like everything that they need to 
do the basic functions of their classes and some pocket mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unless they really like doing that, I, you want to be very careful about having shopping sessions during gameplay. Mm-hmm. The best timing for this would be if you can have everything happen and then say, okay, guys, great job with this session. We're going to stop now. Um, cause now that you said you're going to go yeah. buy stuff for the quest and next game session, I want you to have a list of everything. And if you don't, you're just not buying it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause that's right. not, that's we'll, not we'll a shop everyone together activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I put in here, or we put in here, um, could do a flashback of getting ready for an adventure versus like, like having the. But I think that uh, you know, again, this is just another way to kind of like deal with that. Is mm. is you can skip over the <clears throat> the shopping montage in the moment yeah. if, for example, you know, you've introduced the players, you've introduced the quest, your game is only two thirds over, and you can say, I don't want to end game now. We've mm-hmm. only been playing for a few hours. So we'll say you guys shop, and then we'll come back to it later if it mm-hmm. becomes germane, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I love that method. Actually, I use that myself a whole bunch. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, so in here, um, as far as getting ready, uh, you also put in look up trinkets. Can you remind me of why we were looking up trinkets? Oh, sure. So the trinket system is new to fifth edition. Um, and it's just this like neat little thing that players do when they create their characters. Mm-hmm. They get to roll on a table that's in the player's handbook. You want to look up what page that is? Um, where's the PHP? Wait, oh, you have. I have like a full set of D and D books now. This is great. That's true. Well, no, there's an extended monster manual, right? There's a monster guide or something. Uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yes. I evidently <laughs> won cute. all of the 4th edition books and no, never actually claimed the prize. I have, I have all the spell cards now. It was great. It was actually a contest online. It was make a thematic party. Huh. Was, I believe the only entrant, actually. And then they were like, you win a bunch of 4th edition books. And I was like, that's... I don't, I don't care. Uh, so do you, you can start from wherever if you want. Uh, yeah, so it's on page... It's the spread between page 160 and 161. Can you give an example? I mean, yeah. Um, uh, item 35, a white sequined glove sized for a human. Uh, item 61, oh. a cameo carved in the likeness of a hideous person. Uh, so this would be something where they would roll and it mm-hmm. would be given to them for some reason? Uh, it's it's something that their character has mm-hmm. as a function of their backstory. So okay. the player can come up with like... Where did you find this thing? Mm-hmm. Where did you pick it up? Mm-hmm. And it's totally up to you as the GM whether these things are important story seeds, yeah. whether mm-hmm. they're they have a you know any value, or maybe they're just trash. Like mm-hmm. maybe they're just weird trash that exists in this world. Mm-hmm. So like if a couple of people say, "Oh, I've had it forever," and this and that, I could be like, later on, uh, it be- they lose it and it becomes important that they go get it for some reason. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if or they that- say, "Hey, I found <clears throat> it on the ground in the fair," then I could be like, oh, actually, it's it's part of the story. You know that, that cameo? They drop it, and they and the little stone comes comes free from the base, and they notice there's an inscription on the back of the stone with something mm-hmm. interesting on it that proves to be an interest, an adventure seed. No, I would be kind of very, uh, I'd be very cautious about the you arbitrarily lost it, and now it's important. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. gonna have them lose it, let them lose it honestly, mm-hmm. and well, then you can bring it back. And if they didn't know if. You know, if the, I guess, you know, I feel like then it would have to have been at Turner Mountain at some point. Like, why would it be relevant to that thing? So that's why I'm saying, like, oh, oh, if they said they had just found it on the ground. Um, I think it would be something. 
think of this as part of the character's backstory. Okay. It's like a little <laughs> seed that might spark some inspiration for the player mm-hmm. to be like, oh, why is this thing important to me? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, item 64, a pyramid of sticky black incense that smells very bad. It's like, well, you know, I hate this stuff, but it's really important in my like family's religious rituals. And so mm-hmm. my mom freaks out if I don't always yeah. have the stinky incense on me. Okay. So, so it's sort of like a tool or it can be a tool to help. Uh, people flesh out a story if they're kind of floundering a little. Yeah, and it allows you, you know, you you look at the trinkets that the player that the player characters have, and and if you find one that you think could kind of easily slot into a plot, you, you're working together, and mm-hmm. it's like that some of the players realize that they have something that's plot relevant, and it's like, oh well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, you can't get through this puzzle unless you had some very particularly <laughs> stinky insects. <laughs> if only we had stinky. Incense. <laughs> Stink sense now available at your local grocery store. Uh, oh, I had a game where another player and I both rolled the same trinket, which is there's one that's like a flat piece of cloth that folds into a hat. Mm-hmm. And we decided <laughs> that the hat was like the sign that we were both in the same gang. <laughs> like it was like a weird gang hat that everyone in this gang wore. These, I, like, I'm you know, just like, imagining um, uh, the. British Christmas crackers, the bangers thing, and you like, I don't know if anybody's aware of these, but there's yes, there's right, like a actually. tube and you pull and there's always like this paper crown right. inside and right. that's exactly. what I imagine yeah, exactly. you guys like, had. And that was our like, that was our like, our like, you know, shitty dockside gang is we all had like little paper crowns. Not everyone can afford like sweet velvet hoods. Yeah, exactly. For their, like, cabals, Some of us have know. to do with like shitty paper crowns. Okay. Um, so the very next thing is sort of like starting the scene and what I sort of... Uh, and introducing the intrigue um, with three parts of written here, antagonist, conflict, and mystery uh, as options for what I could be introducing. Um, uh-huh. And one thing I'm sort of debating is whether anything will really happen to them on the road. Maybe they'll meet a, a tinker or something who gives them some weird rumors, but uh, and maybe also give them a second chance to buy a couple of little things. Oh, maybe the tinker gives them trinkets. Sure. Ooh, Ooh, like he's got a coat of pockets. Uh, sure, and, mo- and and another thing is, uh, you know, uh, monstrous encounters can be a yeah. symptom of something. Well, so know? that's that's what I was thinking is that like there's a monster on the road right. somewhere, either at the foothills or something that's keeping mm-hmm. communication from going back and forth. And speaking of monsters, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, here we go. It's yeah, time for the monster mo- of the week. What's that thing? Let's have a peek. Monster of the week. This might actually be a pretty good monster for that. You know, I was, yeah. I was considering having the monsters we've done during this all be in the game. I mean, that's great, except, like, if you put a Baylor in your game, it will kill <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, remember that not every monster in the game has to be fought by the right. NPCs. And sometimes yeah, it's, it's actually acceptable to say... This monster just destroyed this other area. Mm. P.S. It is so much stronger than you that this is out of your wheelhouse. Or, yeah. or they Which find a, the world. or they find a Baylor skeleton like half rotting. Sure. Or no, yeah. half, like so ancient. Sure. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah. throw this out here. Um, I don't know if this is true in fifth edition because I almost always play three point five. Be very careful in some game systems with. Oh, for you know, for scenery's sake, I put a skeleton in here because I had a DM do that to me, not noticing that my character was a dread necromancer. Mm. Should have seen what happened that's, next coming a mile away. That's not good. That's not well, good. I mean, I Pet could always, dragon. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, you know, there could be something like like I could just make some shit up. Like, oh, there's runes on it. 
uh, and then someone could roll whatever, and if they make it, then um, it says a yeah, like they say, like those runes prevent it from being animated. animated yeah, but yeah, just sort of like sort of like one of those uh, de- deserted wasteland scenes where it's like you know just dusty and horrible, and like oh, yeah. this could you know spooky. Um, so this week's monster. Oh yeah, this week's monster. <laughs> this we were monster. talking about monster of the week. This week's monster is the cockatrice. Uh, we have had a lot of debate around the table mm-hmm. about the exact derivation of this monster. And, uh, physiology. And its physiology, yep. Um, maybe we could do this a little different. Let's, uh, except for me, because I really don't have a, as nearly as a strong opinion as you guys, uh, give a brief description of what you think the cockatrice is and where it comes from. Then we can talk about where it is in the, uh, uh, D&D the D&D world, but also the page that it's on. What page is it on? Uh, it's page It's page 42 in the Dungeon Master's Guide. All right. Uh, in the Monster's Guide, sorry. All right, Noah. Take All right. So I'm just going to open with the idea that within Europe, at least, the cockatrice was the same creature as the basilisk. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to use any other information that I've recently learned by uh, <laughs> cheating and reading ahead of time. But... Um, and these creatures seems to have uh, sort of differentiated based solely on the fact that the word cockatrice sounds awfully like it must be rooster-like, and thus a number of people have taken this concept and gone, obviously this thing is some sort of bird thing, whereas a basilisk, that sounds like a lizard, must be a lizard thing. But they are actually originally the same critter. Yep. Um, so, mechanically speaking, in Dungeons and Dragons, they are two different creatures. The cockatrice, which is a lie, which is, which is wrong, which is wrong and bad. Um, uh, letters, we'll write yeah, letters to the editor. Get read it, write those letters. Uh, so, the cockatrice is like a small, unaccountably rooster-like creature, um, and it, I'm disappointed. In you, <laughs> Danny, no, let him talk about his cockatrice um, slash. Other thing? Yo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, I like the cockatrice actually having having reread its entry in the Monster's Manual. I like it because we talked about the Gorgon recently. Mm-hmm. Remember? I mean, not actually that recently. But one of the first monsters that we dealt with was the Gorgon, mm-hmm. which is also a petrifying monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Gorgon will like just straight up kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, it will turn you to stone forever. Mm-hmm. The cockatrice in this version of the game is sort of like baby's first petrifying monster. Mm-hmm. Because... When it attacks, it causes a status effect. So players have to have to roll to shake off this kind of curse. And mm-hmm. if they fail to do so, they slowly turn to stone. But it only lasts for 24 hours, and they, then they turn back into human beings again. Mm-hmm. So it's a way of saying, hey, this is a monster that's potentially dangerous, but isn't going to just <laughs> like take your character out of play forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so... Uh... Chris, why don't you give us yours, and then if someone wouldn't mind reading the actual info from yeah. it. So the cockatrice being sort of a, a cockerel <laughs> who has the ability to turn people to stone is a creature of unimaginable foulness. It is, in essence, the intrusion of an otherworldly distemper pressing in upon the mundane. In this case, a mundane farm animal like a cock or a chicken or a and trees. cockatrices in some ways are symbolic of disillusion of a slide towards degeneracy. You could use a cockatrice symbolically as an encounter at a farm that's been mm. plagued by dark beliefs 
or Hecka, evil witchcraft. Hecka witches. Yes. Hecka witches. Okay. The 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 sort of like the I'm doing air quotes biological derivation of a cockatrice is that it's a hen's egg that is hatched by a toad and oh. it hatches into a serpent. Um, so it's like so yeah I mean like Chris said like what it what it meant for I love them all of a sudden yeah what it meant for like what it meant in kind of the medieval conception was like the cockatrice is like like the natural order has broken down yes. and something unspeakably foul has been birthed mm-hmm. yes um so in D and D uh sort of what's its challenge rating when would be a good time to introduce it to characters its challenge rating is one half which means that it's a good monster for early parties to face so yes. it's like it's kind of almost like an irritating sort of thing like you could have like yeah. three of them running around and three of them running around especially if they were paired with like another slightly more beefy monster right. would make a great encounter I like the idea players. of there just being an irritating flock of them sure yeah absolutely like a little flock of cockroaches will Potentially ruin a lot of people's days. Yeah. yeah. Though you may, you know, run into a situation where your entire party has been turned to stone. And what do you do about that fact? I mean, it's only lasts for twenty four hours, so you just like skip ahead twenty four hours. I suppose so. The players are you like, yeah, the players are like, oh, there's I a feel bunch of pit and shit now. on your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why a cockatrice makes the it makes an excellent familiar for an evil spellcasting NPC. Oh yeah. So so or like if one of my characters decides to be a warlock, they could somehow animal handle this. Potentially, although, you know, uh, having a stone turning animal on your side, yes. that's that's a force multiplier right there. Yeah, yeah. But that's why, but if you were to pair it with, you know, uh, yeah, bad guy, um, very effective. And, um, you know, and you can play with the numbers if you want to. You can create, you know beefier versions of of a cockatrice, like a, you know, a, yeah. a, um, uh, Cockatrice hen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right, sure. A, um, a, a cockatrice cock, cock, rooster. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure just the monster of the week is going to give us the uh, explicit rating yeah. this week. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we were talking about this having this first sort of arc be, you know, a completion of one challenge. Could a flock of these little guys, I mean, could that be it? It doesn't quite seem like that could be the whole reason they're not getting communication. Although I guess if they start going up the foothills and they start finding the statues of everybody who's supposed Mm. to be going through and they're all holding barrels of meat and they look up into the, you know, trees and there's just like, but then you have to answer the question, why are there suddenly cockatrices all over the place? Yeah. Yeah. But, and there's not, and that's not, you know, there's, Right. It's not an invalid reason. You, know, you can there could be cockroaches everywhere, but you just have to figure out why. why. Again, I mean, we've talked about you know the the possibility of you know the turtle priest is up on Turtle Mountain. He's sort of waking up the turtle. The turtle is shaking. The mm-hmm. the you know I don't know if we're still going to go with the earthquake thing, which could be a side. It, Originally, it was like, oh, go figure out, you know, what's going on with the earthquakes. I like the mead. I like our mead idea. Yeah. It's much stronger. Or there's the sort of, there's a sort of trope of like when magic starts to happen somewhere, a lot more magic happens other places. Right. And and I always really like this idea that like as the turtle wakes up, these sort of like parasitic monster creatures mm-hmm. are starting to get shed from out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, it's like its caverns are opening and these monsters are kind of coming out. So maybe there's like a, a, a few cockatrice, you know, like at the edge of Turtle Mountain where they're sort of like have been shaken off. Uh, right. There's a few of those and maybe one larger one. Like they're like the party yeah. fights three of them and they're like, oh, that's 
That's that good. That wasn't so bad. Yeah, and then only they, one of us has turned to stone. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can also sort of one of the the concepts um, that's actually found in very good storytelling is that you can have a puzzle that can be easily solved, but it leads to a bigger puzzle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's okay to have a slightly unrelated thing of there's something unnatural going on that creates these cockatrices, and while it's not actually because of this mountain doing its thing, this leads you to the mountain right. doing its thing, yeah. because this lets people solve something, which is great, but then opens a new mystery, which is way better than the instinct that a lot of people will get. This is a big first-time DM trap of, I want a big mystery yeah. for the beginning, and I'm going to drop a few clues, and oh crap, they guessed it on turn one. I, I better, mm-hmm. and now yeah. I have to change my so big if mystery. I, if I don't actually know what the big mystery is yet, or at least not how it's going to pan out, then they can't guess it either. Well, yeah, but also don't hint at something that you don't want solved. Okay. Because players, yeah. if you really want something solved, players will never solve it, and it's really annoying. But if <laughs> is the moment you put out a puzzle, that has, you put out one clue, but it's supposed to take them a year, invariably the little idiot savants that you are running this game with will find it immediately. This because is, a, this is yeah. a literally the truest thing anyone has ever said about d I just, I really, like, nine episodes in, we finally have something that is a nugget of wisdom. Any mystery that you want solved, your players will find completely uncrackable. Any, like, enigma that you want to, like, you know, like, float around for months or years and color your whole campaign, they're going to get that instantaneous. Because as Dungeon Masters, we spend a lot of time and effort in our adventures, and players are going to ascribe incredible weight to just yeah. about everything you say. Uh, Something that might seem minor to you will get get exploded in their brains is important. And also, I think... You know, players love to mess with you and they love to do a thing outside of what you meant to do. Mm -hmm. And if you're obviously setting up a mystery, they'll often get lazy and they'll say, okay, this mystery is being set up, but I'm going to get more clues later, so I'm not going to worry about it. If you drop one thing that hints that there's some more thing to it, but you're not planning to tell them more because this Mm -hmm. is your big reveal, suddenly their brains go into They latch onto it. And they also turn into Einstein. It's ridiculous. So, no, would you like to spin... The Wheel of Monsters? Oh, yeah, Noah. Spin the Wheel of Monsters. I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> it's a requirement, actually. It's, yeah, it's actually, compulsory. Yeah, it's All right, compulsory. how does one spin the, the Wheel of Monsters? Well, just, uh, just come over here to the wheel and um, go ahead and give it a spin. The, <laughs> what do I, oh, no, I get? The, Is it my favorite? <laughs> Is it my favorite? I, I don't even have a favorite. If one of your favorite monsters is the fire giant. Oh, no. Oh. No, that's nobody's favorite. Didn't we just do a giant? Should we do another one? Really we did a zombie. We did, we we did, did zombie ogre. And we can do a different one. It's really not the same. I mean, we've pressed the wheel no, monsters several no, times. No, you know what? Let's do fire giants, because we yeah. haven't talked about yeah. giants at all, and they're important. Okay, um, so we're looking yeah. at fire giants now. No, we're not. We're, we're looking not. at them next no. week. That's next week. What? Oh, that's for next week. Yeah, you rolled ne- You rolled the next person's... Yeah. Okay, well, it's fire giants for next week, then. Good luck, kids. We should make each of our guests fight the monster. <laughs> I, we can barely make our guests show up. I was like, we should make them. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my characters have uh, gotten their small win victory, which is either defeating a f- a flock of cockatrice, uh, which I believe cockatrice. What is the plural? No, I think it is. Co- that's a that's a that's a an question etym- for another day. An etymological question too far. <laughs> it's a mystery that shall not be solved in right. this podcast. Uh, and I feel pretty good about this. I'm actually kind of at a place where I can suddenly wrap my mind around 
filling in the gaps on the fly during a campaign, uh-huh. which is something that has always been one of the most intimidating aspects of this. <laughs> and it still um, needs to be developed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take a chance to talk to Noah. Uh, Noah, tell us about your sort of personal history with this, uh, this crazy old Dungeons and Dragons. All right. Um, well, I will say that, um, so I'm a, I was a theater major and also I'm an engineer, which means I have a somewhat rare combination of, I really care about stories and, you know, a lot of the role play stuff, but I also really care about the mechanics. Um, and this causes me to actually care a lot more about how the mechanics can facilitate, uh, the stories, whereas I find a lot of other people tend to have this sort of either or response of either we're story heavy or we're crunch heavy and they're, and the never the twain uh, shall meet. Um, also since I did a lot of study into cultures and cultural dynamics and anthropology, I tend to make worlds that are very sort of, that have a lot of history to them. Um, I don't want to go too far with it. I actually make a point of leaving gaps to be filled later uh, because that way I can take what the players do and sort of fill in the gaps appropriately. I'm writing that down in my notebook. (laughs) (laughs) But as a result, it it lets me, I find, handle the twists and turns because I think I mentioned earlier that I feel that players get the most enjoyment when they feel that they're breaking my plans. And this is not a hostile thing. It's because huh. the more agency players have, the more they feel like it's their world. Yeah. If I'm storytelling to them, I might as well be reading a book at them, and they may, might as well, as well be watching te- uh, television. But if I say, okay, you know, here's what's going on, and they do something that I obviously didn't expect, they enjoy it more. But it's harder for me because now my plans are going haywire. Mm. So the more I create a basic believable history the more I can go, okay, well, uh, I guess if you're doing that, then that means that this must happen. And I found the players have absolutely loved that. Um, one of the hardest things about that is I'm building a world and I can't take enough ownership of it. Because if it's my world, if it's my toy, then what the players enjoy doing is breaking my toy and now I'm upset. So I actually, one of the things I usually do is I take a pre-gen adventure and slot it into my world a little bit. And they can do all kinds of nonsense to that pre-gen adventure, and they have a great time doing it, and now it's not mine, so I'm right with them. When they say, I'm going to do this thing, and it's like, that's clearly not intended. Well, what would that do if you did this thing that's clearly not intended? And they run with it. They have a great time with it. Mm. Um, And all the best uh, campaigns I've run have basically ended up with the players running the story, and I'm just Mm. desperately trying to keep up. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like, okay, you've... You've managed to start a war with the town of Eastbrook. That's kind of incredible. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Since that's like 12 people. Uh, I wonder what happens. Or, you know, watching those weird scenarios happen. So I get really into a lot of that kind of thing. So I do a lot of the style of world building where it's like, I base it on real cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to make it into a um, into a mockery of those cultures. It's more of a... You know, like I've played around with like, what if the dwarves, instead of being these lawful, good, paladin, cleric, heavy drinker people, what if I base them on the Aztecs? That sounds like a lot of my friends. Yeah. And, you know, so I did a game where I had the dwarves were essentially based on Aztecs. And then I went so far afield with it that you probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't even recognize where I was coming from because I was doing the history of the Aztecs, not just like random Aztec names and calling it a day. And that game led to some really hilarious stuff. That's awesome. It was just like, I know enough about this culture to know that this thing you did would have this effect. Right, yeah. All right, go nuts. So that's sort of a rough 
thing of what my style is. Um, I tend to prefer very crunchy games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tend to use the fate system very much, though I really appreciate the whole, haha, the DM screwed you over, I'm throwing a rock at you. Mm-hmm. And you want to screw me over back as the DM, throw a rock back at me, we're good yeah. to go. What, uh, what advice would you give to someone like me who's, you know, played... RPGs and or Dungeons and Dragons, you know, for some amount of years, but it's just, you know, like first, first DMing. What? Um, do you happen to have any theater experience? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say that a good DM, uh, a good gaming session is closer to Commedia dell'arte than any other style. So you have created the framework mm-hmm. and you create enough of the stock characters to make a quick adjustment as, as needed. And then you let the players fill in the story however they want mm-hmm. um, once you create that let them go nuts it's an improv game so as always in improv you never say no you say yes and mm-hmm. so if the player decides they want to go in some interesting direction let them run with it to the best of your ability sometimes I have actually gone you know what that's a great idea I seriously have nothing prepped around that mm-hmm. we're going to stop the gaming session mm-hmm. next week I'll be ready and then I have Aww. built more of the game world around that thing they did, mm-hmm. where they just were like, you know what? Um, and actually, I've been—I was the player in this situation. Uh, it was a pre-gen adventure. It's you guys are going to go in, and there's a, a mental asylum, and it's secretly been taken over by mind flayers. Go do the thing, like go, you know, destroy the mind flayers. And uh, I was playing very much in character, where I was like, you know what? The existence of a mental health hospital in D&D is stupid. There's a third level spell called Heart's Ease that cures mental illness. Mm-hmm. What are these people doing? This is ridiculous. I'm going to take over the facility. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing, and I've just killed everyone who was actually secretly running it. Can I run the institution? I can I can cure anybody. <laughs> I want to turn this into an orphanage. Orphanages have purpose, and if anyone comes with a mental health problem, I'm just going to literally cast mm-hmm. a third level cleric spell and fix this. And, you know, that caused the DM to go, okay, hang on. That's weird and crazy, and you've just inserted yourself into the world of this town, which is actually a major town, and holy crap, this does a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to stop here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give you the map from this pre-gen adventure Mm -hmm. so that you know what it is you've just taken over. Go nuts. (laughs) And so as a group, we could actually come together and go, okay, guys, we're going to run this institution. Let's have fun with it. And, and then the next time, it turned out the DM had come back with like, okay, so in the catacombs under this institution right. is, mm-hmm. and suddenly, well, it's like, that's that thing that's under the, under the institution. That's a threat to our thing that we're building. Right, you right, can't right. do that. Yeah. We need to stop this. And all of a sudden, yep. it invested the players a whole bunch more into the, into the deal. So mm-hmm. it's okay to say, hang on, guys, I'm not ready. And it's okay to say, you know what? Um... I need to take 10 minutes or even I need to take a week to deal mm. with what you did. But mm-hmm. I want to say yes and to your stuff. Now, mm-hmm. with that said, there are certain things you shouldn't say yes and to. Mm. Number one is joke characters. Uh, um, yeah. A lot of yeah. times someone will come in with a character and like I had, I was doing a Shadowrun game and this guy comes in and he's like, I got this guy, right? And he's got an arm that's a shotgun arm, right? And mm-hmm. he's got a motorcycle helmet. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be cool. And I'm like, I-, I don't get it, but okay. And pretty soon as August, he he was just like... He after, made Mega Man. Yeah, yeah. After two sessions, he's like, get it, it's Mega Man. And I was like, yeah, I get it, but what else are you doing? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh. And see, it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's once the joke is out there, there's nowhere to go. So you want to avoid those joke characters, and you will want to avoid anything that is 
too much inter-party conflict mm-hmm. unless the players involved really want to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that a lot of times you want to be very careful about sexuality in games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have definitely had players decide to start sleeping with my NPCs, and in my games I, don't even, I just I shut them down every time because I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And so that works for me, but you gotta you gotta know those limits. But outside of certain limits that you know will devolve the story, let them go somewhere else. They'll love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. So that that would be my overall thing: is work on saying yes and, and always feel free to say, you know what, guys, bathroom break, <laughs> yeah. while I figure out <laughs> for a week heck yeah. to go with <laughs> that. Well, after a while, you learn to be able to take that bathroom yeah. break in ten minutes. Cool. Um, okay. <clears throat> All right. You know what? I've got I've got a little stockpile of ideas. Yeah. Um. If we're doing it that way, if it turns out that, like, in your thing, it's like, okay, they've decided they're all going to be carnies is, you know, a fun way to do it. And it's like, well, okay, hang on. I need to think about that. Okay, you know what? The reason you're going after the mead shipment is because mm-hmm. you're you're actually carnies. And uh, right. actually, this is your boss. And yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's he, great. he had ordered a shipment of mead, and it was supposed to be here for the Harvest Festival, and it never made it off the mountain. Mm. Go find out why. Yeah. yeah. And this is, you know, talking about... Uh, we talked about before about building up a vocabulary and, and that's and that's pretty much just all about coming up with a, with a storehouse of ideas so that when the players go off the beaten track you're able to slot something in that's interesting and fun mm-hmm. um um but of course you always want to you know put some thought behind about behind it and so if they really go off in an interesting direction and you want to have an opportunity to develop that more than just a single encounter, then yeah, I'm taking a break or maybe we'll come back next week and I'm going to have something more about that mm-hmm. for you. I'll also add that um, whatever your big story is, that big story should be somewhat world affecting in some way. Um, even if it's a small world affecting, like it's the, the local state, but it's still, it's something that can come back. So if they leave the plot, it should progress, mm-hmm. right? If they go, oh, well, we're just for whatever reason not dealing with Turtle Mountain, that freaking mountain should come after them later mm-hmm. or it should be running away and there's a reason they have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to pull them into that plot. You don't want to, you want to carrot and stick, mm-hmm. right? If you don't deal with this, bad things are going to happen, but there's reason that you want to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that way they can diverge. It's okay. They can go somewhere else and find out that maybe the, your plot was that eventually it turns out the summoner lich king is doing whatever. Mm. Well, if they're doing some other thing, then the summoner lich king is building a bigger army and you want them to have that moment of, you guys, we forgot to we, deal with this thing. Yeah. And now this is happening. Oh, I there was man. something we forgot yeah. to do. <laughs> I mean, the stakes on up and they'll come back. I mean, that's how I, I when I put my the plots together for my adventures, I typically think of it in terms of this thing is happening and it's on a trajectory that if the players do not interfere with it, it has an endpoint. Mm-hmm. And there's a point of friction, the sandpaper, where the circumstances or the symptoms of what's going on affect the players personally enough to get them to act. Mm-hmm. But And when they act, when they insert themselves into this, for me, that's the fun point. Because that's where, okay, I have this idea about how this plot is going to go if they don't, don't involve themselves. They've inserted themselves at this point. How is that going to affect the trajectory of this plot? And sometimes I won't even know. I won't even know until the players become that irritant that makes things change. Mm-hmm. And that's the, for me, that's the joy. That's the surprise. It's because me having to think on my on uh, my feet, like, oh shit, what's what's going to happen now? What are the villains going to do? Or, or, or you know, what are the NPCs going to NPCs going to do mm-hmm. that the players have done this? And you do want to be careful about doing that. You never want to do the. Um, 
one of the, one of the classic uh, mistakes is let's say I have in my backstory that, oh, I have a wife back home. You don't want to do the like, and then your wife gets kidnapped mm. because yeah, you yeah. don't want it to be a pure stick based thing of like, I'm punishing you for not mm. following my plot. Mm-hmm. You want it to be a, a natural sort of thing of like, well, the mountain just got up and left and mm-hmm. this is going to have some serious effects that makes them go like, oh, that's, that's relevant to my interest. Not like you never like with some DMs, it's actually gotten to the point where they where you don't want to write anything in your backstory because you know they're just right, going to kill right. off every character and they're going to kidnap every character twice. Yeah. And like I, you know, I, I had one where he had a he had a thing about um, his his idea for how to nerf casters was to always steal their spellbook, hmm. and it got so predictable that I had a spellcaster where he's like, you know, oh, your backpack is suddenly lighter, right? And I was like, sweet. And then I, I looked in my backpack, and sure enough, my spellbook has been strangely stolen for no apparent reason. And I was like, "So do I hear the explosion?" And he goes, "What?" And I was like, I uh, running room. "If you if you look at my my inventory sheet, I've I had spellbook full of explosive runes <laughs> written in there, and meanwhile, my other spellbook, which is in a place that you can't even get to." <laughs> It's fine, but you don't want to get to that point. And if you notice your players getting that type of sort of hostility to you, mm-hmm. you need to take a step back and give them a few more wins and stop being quite so obvious. Yeah. About it. So that's another thing to be. Aware I don't of. think I think I'm. I, I think my style of being a damn it is going to be much more like I'll probably need to be harder on them than mm-hmm. you know. It's possible that some of the so, listeners you know, have this issue. There's a really depends on their players, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really good note um, in the Powered by the Apocalypse World Games mm-hmm. um, where they talk about. Uh, you know, at certain moments, sort of players fail, and then the DM does this thing where they inflict harm following from like the fictional circumstance that exists in the game right now. And I think that's a good way to think about it is like, you know, if you need to raise stakes on the players, having an ancillary character get kidnapped off stage, mm-hmm. that doesn't really do a lot to like bring your players to the table mm-hmm. and like get them excited. Think about the the local moment. Like, what can you do in this moment to sort of, like, you know, impel your players in a specific direction or, you know, uh, give them new reasons to act? Yeah. So. Um, I feel really good about this, you guys. Yeah, I, I kind hmm. of feel like our next big step is you got to make some characters and maybe even sit down and play your first game. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> I kinda wish I could play in this yeah. game. I know. Uh, I think this is going to be a challenge. Um, so actually our next episode is going to be uh, a live episode. Well, sort of not live episode, right. but we're Alexei and I are going to go to big bad con, um, which this episode will be coming out after, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to go, Alexei's going to run a game. Um, I'm going to go around and interview people about their experiences, both both being as players and GMs and DMs, um, non-denominational RPGing here, and uh, and so that'll be our next episode. And then I'll be finding, I think, players between now mm-hmm. and the next one, uh, the next non-special uh, episode, and vetting them in some way. Yeah, um, we might. Oh, you know um, what? Like finding players should be a little thing. Not today, but like it would be pretty great to do. I'd love to do our next oh my god uh, with the players DM session to have the players in the studio. Oh and my make god, the that's amazing! Yeah, uh, the episode. You may also want to do a little bit on something that I think it's overlooked a lot, which is acculturating players to your game. Mm. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I've done a game where I was like, I want to do a realistic heroic game, mm. and I was immediately greeted with, "I made a character who's a dinosaur." 
so yeah we'll have uh, our very next episode will be um, this sort of live recorded one at uh, Big, Big Bad Con. Con and then after that we'll I'm gonna try to find some players and bring them in and um uh, get ready to run the game with them. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. That'd and, be great. Um, you know, if you're listening to this and Big Bad Con has already happened, find a time machine, go back in time, mm-hmm. meet us at Big Bad Con, mm-hmm. come say hi. And um, again, you can find us at dmcast.net. You can tweet us uh, with any questions or thoughts, comments, yes, perhaps, comments. Um, at cpdmcast. Uh, we're also on Reddit and Facebook, and we are there in those places, and we'll be back in two weeks. Come talk to us. Yeah. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a good night. You you guys are the best. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, Noah, for joining us. Thank you, Thank Noah, you. so much. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. Good night.